0: Good morning. Uh, If we haven't already met, my name is Mark. Uh, I had preached several times in the last year or so. It has always been my privilege to have shared sermon messages with you in the three years or so of having attended this local church body. I will always have given thanks to have worshiped together with you in the Word. If I seem a little haggard or mentally delayed more so than usual, it's just because um, I don't feel as rested as I would usually on the days that I preach uh, the night before I don't get much sleep anyway like I get up at 5 and roll in here pretty early just to get acquainted but uh, Friday night I like to get a good night's sleep and that sets me up for today however because of Pastor Phil's sabbatical a couple fellas we went on an overnight camping trip, and so it was a good time had by all, I think, but uh, for me, an older guy, sleeping in a tent on a not so cushioned sleeping bag, you know, was not so good for me and my body, and so uh, take that into account, and this symphony of snoring that was going on from tent to tent. So that cacophony, when you combine that with uh, its peak allergy season, and so I had a major pollen algae flare up at like 3 a.m. So it's like, no, but uh, it's all good. So I thank God that we were able to spend time together with Pastor Phil. And uh, I think um, just lifting up and encouraging him in support, I think it uh, was good for everyone. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm about to show a short video clip uh, related to the sermon message. That's not a good sign. The title of which uh, is Children Obey and Honor, But Parents Don't Exasperate. Uh, scripture instructs children to obey and honor their parents, but just as importantly, the passage also implores the parents not to exasperate their children. Uh, parenting in the uh, modern Christian era is challenging when the stress and pressure caused by a well-meaning parent for the child to excel in athletics or academics and the workplace and so on and so forth can be in perhaps with what the relationship is envisioned in the Bible. When you consider also the intergenerational uh, depth of meaning as adult children, we also are struggling to honor our aging parents in the twilight of their years. I currently work as a chaplain at a long-term care facility, uh, folks in hospice, palliative care. Um, They're there because of their advanced aging. They've um, experienced a sharp decline in physical and mental faculties such that they've lost their independence. Maybe they lived in the home for 40 years and they have to move into a facility. They've lost their mobility, their ability to make their own health care decisions. And so there's a great loss of dignity, personal dignity, that they've lost as they transition and adjust to this new reality, uh, which is why it's so important as chaplains to come in there to try to extend honor and respect um, in in a small gesture to try to restore that dignity of life. The adult children there may or may not be at peace with the thought of losing a parent and their decisions as primary caregivers may or may not be in sync with what the elderly parent uh, chooses when in hospice, for example. Ultimately, Christ as head of the household and his love must prevail. So I'm about to ask them to roll the video clip, but I just want to say, as an aside, the original eight-minute video, I think it was, was heavily edited by me, just for the sake of time, and it also went a bit far afield of the areas that uh, were um, part of this morning's message, and so some of those have been reduced down as far as it's talking about the pressures of kids and the self-harm that may, or the or other ways that they're dealing with that, and so I wasn't sure that that would be a distraction about where we're going today, but please excuse some of the uh, editing. It's Kind of poorly done, but um, I'm an old person and not technically savvy. I was fiddling with the fade in, fade out, and the clipping thing, and I just couldn't get it to work. I just finally gave up. So if you could um, please roll the video. Thank you.
1: Things aren't as good as they seem, as these students often struggle with the very real pressures of privilege. By most accounts, Mercer Island, Washington, is an ideal place to raise a family. Yeah, it's expensive, but just about anywhere near Seattle is. But there are perks. The public schools, for example, are among the highest achieving in the state. These kids seem to have everything, including near perfect grades. A quarter of our class has GPAs over 3.9. Over 3.9. 3.9. Mm-hmm. It all sounds pretty good, right? These students are from the class of 2020. Thomas Lee, Zetong Wang, Megan Akakabal, and Joe Gormley. We talked with them in their last semester before heading off to college. And it was that last bit, college, that was first and foremost on their minds.
0: We all tell ourselves that our GPA doesn't define us, but it really does here. The end goal isn't to learn, it's to get a to number. Get a number. It's just so.
1: How much of kind of what you guys have been working towards is about getting into a top school? A lot all, of it. All, all yeah. of it. All all of of it. it. With record low acceptance rates at top colleges, it's pretty well known that students feel pressure to outcompete each other. But what isn't widely known is the toll that that pressure can take. How do you see that manifest
0: itself? Physical tears and like mental breakdowns from failure. What we consider failure, which is really nowhere near what other people would consider failure, and also the fear. It's failure.
1: failure it's not unexpected to see someone crying in the bathroom or coming to the lunch table and sobbing and then you know five minutes later cleaning themselves up and going to class pretending like it didn't happen to hear that our children children that are in high achieving schools and affluent communities have the same risks is really startling evans and john martin are both parents on mercer island evans is also a pediatrician In our office, at least at Mercer Island Pediatrics, we feel like psychiatrists most of the time. When it's your kid struggling, it becomes real. But many parents, even teachers, aren't aware of just how much stress is hurting because many teens don't talk about it to anyone.
0: You don't wanna show that you're struggling. You don't wanna show that waking up in the morning is an accomplishment for you. It's that kind of strips you down.
1: When you have so much on your plate, but you have to prove you're capable, You can't show any signs of weakness or talk to the counselor and get help. When you're hiding it, it just becomes worse. That lack of openness and communication is what Luther zeroed in on when she was asked to come to Mercer Island to help students cope with that pressure to succeed. Have a conversation, and if your child does tell you, I'm overwhelmed, I'm so anxious, I can't sleep, I'm terrified, that's the time when you pull back. Ask your child. When you realize, your worries are also shared by the three hundred sixty well, like something <laughs> students in your class, you all of a sudden feel like it's not so bad. Where's the pressure coming from, you think? Is it from parents? Is it from teachers? Is it pressure that you put on yourselves? it's, not, it's all three I think. It's like you are made to like go on the path. What's the answer you think they've tried to de emphasize sort of the importance of AP and and honor courses? Is that I help? think it's very difficult. It's really
0: trying to change the culture. It's been been like put into our minds when we were in you know kindergarten and first grade. Okay, so um, as you could tell I did uh, edit it way down and and just as an aside, those are high school kids about to go into college, so I wouldn't want any of the young adults to feel that I am condescending or patriotizing you with these teenagers, but I felt that they really articulated a lot of uh, what might be going on, and so the reason I selected that video, I went through a lot of different ones, but I love the fact that it gave the perspective from the young adult children. There was mention of parental concern, and lastly, there was mentioned by the students that they felt the pressure coming from their parents and the teachers and uh, themselves, and one might actually ask, well, where did the pressure that they they developed that they have on themselves, where did that come from? And so that was kind of what I was going to be addressing, this kind of tension in which, where is our Christian identity as parents and Christian identity as as the children to honor and obey and what responsibilities uh, do we have as parents? Um, And so when we kind of consider about uh, what the world tells us about parenting children it's the standard list of high achievements and everything, um, academics, athletics, college placement. And it never ends there. Get good grades, get a good job, and get married, and have kids. And it, it will never end with your parents. They'll, after we had our first, our Jen's, my wife's Jen's mom asked us, when are you having kids, when are you having kids? And we didn't have Julian, our son, until like five years in the marriage and then after that it's like she proceeds to tell us like well your second child should be like two years apart that's the best age difference so It's like it's just never gonna stop but that's all good they mean well and so an example of kind of what the world tells us and what that could possibly lead to um, just as in a neutral example when a parent sees their little Johnny able to hit a wiffle bat with a plastic bat or or little Janie is able to shoot hoops and make a basket they start immediately thinking scholarship or Olympics. And I kid you not, and then comes the private coaching, the travel teams, the time and money investment, and year-round competition. Um, My son Julian was a good little athlete. Uh, We bonded a lot with uh, Little League Baseball. And he went on to cross country and tennis. And uh, I felt, and still do, that aside from all of that, the life lessons from sports. Uh, discipline, leadership, uh, being a good team member, listening to coach, all those things as far as the discipline and and work ethic are important and more important than the sport itself. And so uh, one year, uh, Howard County Little League, they do have limitations on how much kids can pitch as far as limiting that. So it it, it helps keep them healthy. But he did develop a little tendonitis in his pitching elbow. And so the orthopedist, basically shut him down, you know, and they say, oh, well, the bone plates, you know, if they're destroyed, then he'll, what, have a shorter arm than the rest of his body when he grows up? So that will scare you. But when I was just kind of talking, this, right, you know, in this day and age of everything that I was talking about, you must just see a lot. And he was talking about a high school senior who was an exceptional swimmer, apparently, that he already had a scholarship locked up. But however many years it was, 10 years in the water and all those laps and all those hours, the wear and tear on his rotator cuff has was causing some serious damage and was going to lead to serious damage. But he would have, the doctor probably would have prescribed, you know, rest and then maybe scoping it out and cleaning that up. But all the all that kid who was about to go in a scholarship on asked, Well, give me a cortisone shot. Let's mass that pain. Strap me back up. He's got to get out there because he would otherwise be jeopardizing that scholarship. So it's like where is that pressure coming from? He's letting people down, or he's already told his friends. He's got this big scholarship. And so just the inertia that that starts to take uh, just could be uh, just incredibly uh, probably damaging and perhaps destructive ultimately. And so uh, that would be something that we would want to be very, very careful about. And what I threw in there is some parents, as far as what you may have been told in college as far as Jesus in moderation is okay, but just don't go like crazy about it and, and you know, become a Jesus freak and, uh, you know, and don't let it interfere with your studies. And so uh, some of you might have uh, encountered that. I know Pastor Phil has shared from time to time in his sermons how his pastoral calling came during uh, college and how initially his father was disappointed or just didn't understand how he could do that. Uh, after finishing college, but um, thank God that they were able to rec- reconcile those differences, and his father did come to Christ. That's not my story to tell, but that's the story that Pastor Phil has shared with us um, from time to time. It also reminds me, uh, years ago at a previous church, there was a small group or a community group discussion, and one of the new, new uh, small group members, I don't remember that she was necessarily Christian. But she was sharing that one of the reasons she decided to come to church, and she has two smaller children, the reason why she wanted her family to come to church is because she had read in a women's magazine that it was good for your children to socialize with Christians. And so I guess the implication is that uh, we're, we're nice, straight-laced, moral, law-abiding folk who aren't going to lead your kid into juvenile delinquency. And so I was an associate pastor then, and I was like, well, it's great that you're here I th- I think you know you try to work with however you they're coming in the door and by the way I think it's super super important for me to tell you uh, at the beginning of this message that it's never my intent to tell anyone how they should parent or tell anyone specifically what to do and how to act either as a child or as the parent maybe in a small group setting I could offer my experience as a dad or what not to do as a parent, but I would never ever guilt or shame anyone into a pattern of conduct. In other words, I wouldn't want to be too preachy while I'm standing up here preaching. With regard to approaches to parenting, I've always thought that uh, new parents are going to come to a crossroads about parenting based on their own childhood experiences. and By that I mean, for example, If you say to yourself, well, my parents spanked me or my parents were really harsh and strict and they never showed me love, they just told me to work hard. You are either gonna decide, you're gonna decide on the precipice of your own parenting. Well, spanking was good enough for me and being aloof and cold was good enough for me and I'm good enough for my kid, I turned out okay. Or you're gonna say, I did not care for such and such, fill in the blank, and I will never ever do that To my child and if there are two parents that coming from their own hailing from their own experiences they're going to have to reconcile that in love christ love but those are the different dynamics that i'm just simply presenting but i'm never going to tell you as far as oh they shouldn't get good grades because it takes away from your faith i would never say that that's ridiculous i don't have the cachet or gravitas to be telling any of you any of that anyway but i'm just letting you know Please consider this as you are moving into those life stages and coming out of those life stages, you're going to be relating, and as you move into adulthood, you're gonna be seeing your folks as adults, and then you're gonna start noticing things about them that, oh, and whether or not we all have grace and love and we're able to keep that family harmony and those bonds intact. Um, I think that is something that I would want for everyone. Okay, so the actual passage is Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Um, I like this passage because it combines both the command to obey one's parents as well as to to honor them because I think demonstrating honor requires actual conduct or action and obeying them is a way of honoring them. For the parents, the children doing all this obeying and honoring, for you it's a pretty nice gig. However, before you go uh, start spouting off quoting that scripture and making these broad commands that they should just blanket obey and honor you, I would ask you to consider. That's the the tail end of the Ephesians 6 verse, but in another passage that refers to that. It also talks about don't embitter your children. And my observation of that is that Apostle Paul is trying to balance that out. The original commandment about honoring your father and mother or obeying occurs from the original chosen people with the Israelites. And my observation of the text is that because there was sin and there was separation between God and even God's chosen people, that they never felt that personal relationship with the Lord because of such separation. And it was just either obey my commands, if you obey, blessing, if you disobey, my wrath. And so an example of that, two examples of that would be Numbers 15, the Israelites in the desert, they came across one of their fellows who was gathering firewood on the Sabbath. Maybe he was hungry, maybe he was cold, but it's okay to gather wood on the other days, but not on the Sabbath. So they held him in custody, detained him and asked Moses, what are we to do with him? This is forbidden. So God asked the Lord and the Lord said, he must be taken outside of the camp and killed. And they took him outside of the camp and stoned him. For gathering wood on the Sabbath. Leviticus 24, one of the Israelite woman's sons, blasphemed the Lord. That's in the commandments. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. So again, they held him in custody. Asked Moses what to do. Lord said, take him outside the camp. Those who heard him blaspheme, hold him. And the rest of the Israelites stoned him. So again, because of that separation, God's like, well, this is my tough love. But this is the way it is, whether or not you like it or not, do this or there are going to be awful consequences. But I like Paul balancing that out as obey, obey your parents, honor them as I have commanded you because you'll live a long life. But also, he's establishing a responsibility of the parents, don't exasperate, don't embitter your children. I'm not sure that that occurs in the Old Testament, but because of Christ, thank God, who restores us to a right relationship with the Lord, who by his finished work on the cross, we have union, we have the spirit, we have Christ in us that is going to enable us and compel us and guide us through these difficult challenges of parenting, through these difficult challenges of obeying and honoring your parents. And so I think it's important that we balance that out in fairness to the children who are obeying and also to the parents who are doing the commanding and, and uh, demanding a, to be honored and so i like that balance that that is there because that creates that kind of harmony and not the embitterness now if your eight-year-old demands that he wants to eat he or she wants to eat ice cream for dinner and you say no and that embitters and exasperates that child okay so there are exceptions to this but with your wisdom with christ's wisdom and the holy spirit you will have discerned between the two. I'm not telling you, or not, I'm not telling you, or telling you not to feed your children ice cream for for dinner. But I would just rely on your own good judgment and whatever you think the Bible and the Spirit is compelling you to do. Okay. So at this point, I have to digress here a little. Please indulge me. I have to share part of my testimony. As I was saying, it, it has truly been a privilege for me to preach. But last month. I wasn't so sure if I should. I was developing a little bit of an attitude problem towards church, and so I'm just like, if I would take that seriously as far as preaching, if, I, if I'm if i not fit, then I darn well shouldn't be sharing a message. And so that email draft I had, I still have March 11th, that's like, hey, probably not a good idea for me to preach. I got my mind right, just so we're all clear. If there's someone back there, designated person with his hand on the the pulpit mic mute button in case I go rogue. Um, I assure you I would never do that. Um, but at the time, that was uh, March 11th, and that was a Saturday, and at that time I was visiting my sister and brother-in-law in Arizona. So I was literally and proverbially spiritually in the desert. That was a Saturday. Sunday I attend her church. There, uh, They live near Phoenix, and that pastor opened up with this analogy about Him being the coach of his son's flag football team and he was coaching his son who's a quarterback as far as don't get bogged down and distracted with the pass rush that's coming here. You need to look downfield and let the play develop with your receivers. And, And he was saying, it's like, you know, that's a real metaphor for don't get bogged down with life's details or these distractions, but look to Christ. And so in my lifetime, I have received during sermons like compelling word or thing and so I was having this attitude problem but boom right then God's like you're going to preach and you're going to share the psalms prophetic word uh, testimony that you have so so here goes okay so part of my testimony is uh, some years ago about the time that, that I felt a calling to attend seminary not so coincidentally, God was kind of revealing to me, it's like, you got some serious kind of deep-rooted subconscious issues with being an adopted Korean. And it, uh, I was starting to realize it was kind of subconsciously permeating and infecting my relationships, including with my son. My little anger issues uh, that I have personally or had personally, I hope. We're played out under the guise of, oh, I'm just giving my son life lessons uh, and discipline and structure and a good work ethic. However, that might be a good idea otherwise, but the lads like five or six, you're just crushing him. You're, You're embittering and exasperating and crushing his spirit, and I'm losing my relationship with my son. So all these things are happening, like I said, not coincidentally, because I feel God is like... Hey, if you're going to minister people that I put in your care, you need to deal with that stuff and clear the decks as best you can, and I'll help you. And but you need to come to terms with some of these things that I was kind of like uh, blind to, and I thought it was not an issue, but lo and behold, it really was once I started to reflect. And so um, that was kind of this new journey in my 40s, you know, as far as what's going on and uh, carrying around all this baggage and stuff, and so. When i mentioned the intergenerational relationship dynamic earlier about the adult children with their parents i was having um, ongoing difficulty with the relationship with my own dad and around that time i had invited my dad to visit us out to maryland and he was living in um, nevada at the time my parents divorced back when i was a sophomore in high school He was of a generation that he just didn't have, like, the emotional or psychological tools to process with emotions or that thing. And so he was devastated by that divorce, and he never really fully recovered. And that caused him, like, this roller coaster gamut of emotions, of lashing out and trying to, you know, patch things up. And so that was kind of the thing that was going on at the time. But... I was hoping when he would come out that uh, somehow he would experience God's love and we would, you know, have a breakthrough of some sort. And so he was out for a weekend. we attended Sunday service at the church that I was serving at at the time. And uh, during the music worship, it's like, yeah, and I'm kind kind of looking over there, checking it out, and it seemed to be going well. And then he just takes a left turn and exits. And I didn't know, was he going to the bathroom or something? But he never returned. And then I found him after service. Just He was sitting outside on the grassy knoll just waiting for us to finish. And I kind of went up to him and said, hey, um, everything okay? Uh, What happened there? And he says during the music worship, that was the most beautiful thing he had ever experienced. And I'm just, for a split second, he's like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. And then he says, and I'll never put myself through that again. And I'm just like, wow. So that just, again, it's just a he just can't handle even beautiful uh the warm fuzzy of the holy spirit is just like too much for him and he just had to literally exit from that he he couldn't he couldn't even um process or accept that and so the rest of that trip just kind of broke down and he was frustrated and he left in a huff and that was in august and by that went that christmas my wife sent him a package of our son julian's school photos and a gift of some kind i forget and um about a week or so later we get a, a package back from him and I'm just like, oh, thank God. You know, he he's in Julian a, a Christmas gift or something and so I'm glad that we were, you know, he was able to kind of make amends a little bit. So we open up the package, it's not a gift or anything, it's the package we sent, unopened, stuck in another package and mailed back. And so it's like, for him to go out of his way, that really, really cut deep, that, that was, the most devastated and hurt that I had ever been to. I don't know if like I was vulnerable. Vulnerable. It's like, yeah, you know, we're making some progress on our relationship, and he's making a gesture to my son, and it's like, he went out of his way not just to write return to sender, but to stick it in a package, and it's like, just kind of like, the middle finger to me or something. So it's like, that was just dev- That was devastating to me, and so, um, about that time. Um, as I said, I was serving at that church and the youth pastor was going to this IHOP, International House of Prayer in Kansas City. They have a one thing uh, convention, conference every year at the time. Um, He was taking a group of the young adult students there and he asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, sure, I don't know anything about that. And I'm not making any comments. As soon as I mention IHOP, people go, oh, I didn't know you know, you were so charismatic, or this, that. It's like I really cared hardly any of that, as far as what they're into, as far as the spiritual charismatic gifts. And excuse me, I got a bit of a cough. But what I have always loved is that um, they have a mission statement of providing this glorious worship music, literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, month in, month out. They've been doing that for, I believe. 25, 30 years straight. And so that has been from time to time my pir- pir- pilgrimage to go out there. That's the mecca of just being enveloped in this beautiful sound and the presence of the spirit, the caliber of musicianship, the state of the art sound equipment they have. It's just, for me, it's like, this is just so awesome. I sat there from 2 a.m. to 5.30 a.m., just taking that in. But we went to this One Thing concert, and it was... Um, Full of excellent guest speakers that were giving powerful testimonies and talking about the power the transformational power to young, young adults for healing and transformation and um, to come to christ and so all of that was all well and they also had these little side sessions that were for the invocation of the spiritual gifting such as healing go there for physical or spiritual healing but they also had sessions for Prophetic Word where you could register and go in there and perhaps see Prophetic Word, which like I said, that mattered not to me. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying they don't exist, but for me my previous day job was legal training and so you know I need proof or evidence and, and the idea or notion that they're going to trot out spiritual gifts as a concert prop right on schedule, for the signs and wonders junkies to get off on that's my jaundiced view of that but if it is legit i'm just like i'm not sure i want to receive prophetic prayer for whatever reason i'm not ready for that and so that was kind of my mindset towards that it's like yeah it's, i acknowledge that they exist perhaps not for me or i'm a little anxious or afraid to find out what i might find out so anyway we're there in the conference grade and um when we get there the pastor's are like, hey, I have a good friend in the uh, IHOP staff who can get us in the the prophetic sessions. They're basically sold out. They aren't, they aren't selling them, but they give out wristbands so they can control the n- number of people, and they're all, all the, all the seats were taken and stuff, and so it's like, they can go. It's like, I don't want to go for the reasons that I stated, and so you know, he kept saying, it's like, hey, we can go, we can go, and I was like, fine, for you guys, not for me, and so we're in one of the main conference things, and we're just listening to the guest speaker, it was, it, the, the waited hours time and they all got up and they're like, I'm sitting in there and they're firing past me. I'm just like, have a good time. And then as the pastor comes by, he goes, are you sure you don't want to go? And then for whatever reason, I'm like, fine. I got up and followed him like a lemming. And so I'm going there and it's like, this is pretty special because it was really, really popular and that IHOP staff member is taking us past, and we're going by this big long line of the people with their color-coded prophetic wristbands waiting to get in there and we're just like walking up there like VIPs. It's like, this is kind of cool. I don't know what it is, but we're making good time. And so uh, we get up there and it's this room. It's got like 10 different pairs of folks sitting at different tables and then people come in there and sit down and they're meeting briefly and they're supposed to receive a word and I'm waiting and then it's my turn. So I go over there and I'm seated. And like I said, I'm already kind of skeptical anyway, but I'm seated with a pair of Asian people. And in my my mind it's like, what, can only Asians get a prophetic beat on other Asians? I mean, (laughs) give me a break. And so one of them was talking and the other one wasn't talking, just silent and just kind of observing. It was a little off-putting, but just kind of checking me out. And the other one, and I honestly don't remember what the person was talking about. And after a few minutes, it was about my time to get up. And so right before that, the silent person leans over and is whispering something. I can't hear that. And so I'm given this Bible verse. And I don't think anything of it. It's like it's probably a God loves you. Have a nice day. Very prophetic. Thank you. And so I go there. And later on, I'm back in my hotel room. And this is it. And so for me, that was like, what the bloody blast is going on here? Because how would that person know where I'm at in my life and what's going on? How could he figure that out? And like I said, with my legal training, it's like, there's gotta be some other rational explanation for what took place there. Maybe my my resting face is angry adopted Korean guy. Give him this verse. Or at the time, I thought maybe I was a, because I thought at the time that I was this mixed-race Caucasian-Korean dude, and that was the tip-off to him as far as, there's something going on there. Give him this verse. (laughs) Even though I recently discovered through the mail-in DNA testing things that um, I'm not half Caucasian. So that just like blows my mind. It's like makes it even more impossible to try to explain by my rational human thought. Anyway, I don't know. For me, that was astonishing. For me, that's a blessing. For me, that's a confirmation and gave me so much relief. And when I was told, well, you got to share that, I wasn't quite sure how that fit in. It does indirectly, but I'm just sharing. And so I don't know what you have to make of that, but it was extraordinary for me to kind of get that kind of, I don't want to say closure, but just confirmation about, hey, you're on the right track. I'm with you. Let's keep on keeping on. So. Um, I'm very uh, grateful to have experienced that. And so as I mentioned earlier, I don't have a right to tell any of you how to parent or how to act as children. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, can can we at least consider where to start? Where is your heart? And from your heart, it's going to be expression. Whatever comes out of your mouth is going to be expression of your heart. However you receive that from your parents, it's going to be expression of where your heart is. And so, through the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's a lot. That's nine. I've never exhibited all of those at the same time. Maybe one at a time. Anyone in favor of just being four of the nine? Anyone? Anyone? I'm okay with that. But... Um, But kidding aside, um, it's important, like I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do in the moment, but you will have to figure that out, and in doing so, it's an investment in your future and in your children's future and your relationship with your elderly parents for you to start developing that relationship and those fruits of the Spirit. If you have, and you have, I'm sure many of you have, Go with God, you're well on your way, but you need to start preparing yourself for times of child-parent warfare if you haven't already engaged in that. Or engaging in what you're, you're finding out in school or what your parents are telling you might be in tension with where your Christian identity is. You're going to have to just deal with that, but praying through that, I believe the Spirit's going to give you peace, it's going to give the agitator peace, and in God's perfect timing, all that's going to come together. But you got to be there. you got to be present and mindful, in my opinion, about what's going on. And so I think it's very important as far as um, I don't know how kind I've been with my son or loving or gentle. I tell the story about one time when we were living in Montgomery County. We were at the Chick-fil-A there. And I think it was like 10. And those are kind of like right around the period of my Bad daddy days and my better daddy days, but we were at Chick-fil-A, and you know it's so—it's a Christian kind of—it's fried greasy junk food, but it's a Christian branding and Christians just like Amish furniture and and potato salad, they have very good reputation. So Chick-fil-A, in part, does well because you have nice Christians serving you, and the food is is delicious. And so I was trying to tell Julian, it's like it's, he's just like—it's really crowded, It's like, well, you know, it's a Christian restaurant they do very well in part but in my mind I was trying to like give them a little lesson as far as but you know that not all Christians they're not always nice and then he says without skipping a beat yeah like you you're not always nice it's like (laughs) I gotta own that to be admonished by a I think he was 10 at the time very humbling and um, humiliating but on the other side of that me trying to honor my parents my mother is in her 80s and I visited a couple weeks ago, and I took her, her husband, they remarried, they have been married for 27 years, Joe had a, Joe had a stroke about five years ago, he's been wheelchair or walker bound, and my mom's getting an initial onset of dementia, and she wasn't supposed to bring her church, but because she forgot, she brought her purse, I left it in the van, but then she was fixated on that during the game, the Mariners game, and she asked no less than 13 times, oh, where's my purse, I need my purse, and I was like, it's in the van, Oh, I left it in the van. I'm trying to be patient because you have to be. Why would I be frustrated and dishonor and disrespect my mother? But after like the fifth time, I just tried to like, I was messing with her. It's like, because they know that there's a, a huge homeless panhandling issue in Seattle. I just said, Oh, your purse, I just gave that to a homeless person. So I said that a couple times and I, I, I think she just kind of chuckled and laughed. And after a while, I developed that a little bit more. It's like, I gave your purse to a homeless person who's in the van. And then I said, I gave, your homeless, I, gave your, I gave your purse to a homeless person who's sitting in the van with the van keys. And then they started laughing. And I think I may have stumbled upon a way for them, for her, to just really register that in her mind. Because after a while, she stopped asking, probably because it's like, did he really leave my purse with a homeless person with the van? But those are two different intergenerational examples of what you are going to be confronted with. It's going to be painful to see your parents decline like that and you're going to be left with the memories of when you were, or maybe there's going to be some unreconciled things that you're really going to have to It will will be a supernatural miracle to have transition and resolve that. So you have all those things to consider if you haven't already. Please do so. Um, uh, I need to finish up here soon, but um, I'm throwing this in because I have seen that come into play, even in the Christian context. If one of the other videos that I didn't select, but one of the young adult teens was talking about, one of the things that he wished his parents would do was that they would admit when they were wrong or if they made a mistake. And I remember one Christian brother was talking about, oh, my sons, they thought I was Superman when they were little and I could do everything and I was perfect. And, and once they got older, you know, they, they were bitter and resentful. It's like with toddlers, you can create the illusion that you are a total know-it-all and the perfect parent because they don't necessarily know any better at that age. But once they come of age and they know things and they observe you and your imperfections and your impatience and this, that, and the other thing, and then you throw in some teenage rebellion, you are screwed (laughs) unless you start building that level of trust and understanding as far as, hey, I'm not perfect. My son knows now that I'm not perfect. He knew that before, but I'm confessing it. He knows that I love him. He knows that we're proud of him, however things go, that I would drop things and go to Colorado Springs, where he's finishing up his first year at the Milita- uh, Air Force Academy. If he needed something, I'd drop whatever I'm doing. I'm going to give him a space because he's a young adult. He's his own man. But he knows that we would do anything for him if he wanted us to. So hopefully, thank God, I've recovered from those bad daddy years and my relationships in general, my bad Mark years. It's less b- bad Mark, shall we say. It's least bad Mark, shall we say. And so... That is what I'm uh, imploring you to consider because you may come to a point where it will be so difficult and you have shattered those relationships. And so please consider those things. If, you're, if you are following the Lord, walking with the Lord, perhaps I might suggest you won't have created the conflict if you're walking with the Lord. And the things that come out of your mouth are because they spring from the fruits of 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 the Spirit. And so you can start there. There's always going to be difficulties. Teenage parents, older parents, this, that, and the other thing, it's always going to be a challenge. But if it's a foundation of love, I believe love truly does conquer all. And so if we can have the uh, worship team come up, Um, I wanted to do something. We're going to read this passage before we do that. And that was the point I was making. I'm not going to tell you what to do because just as you each, in your own way, uniquely, individually, came to Christ and you're processing that and you're relating to the Lord in your own way, how you're wired, you are going to relate to parenting in your own way based on where you hail from, what you liked and didn't like, and the difficulties of that, experiencing that as a parent, experiencing that as a young adult, seeing your parents, you're going to be wrestling with all of these things. You're going to be wrestling as you grow up and mature in adulthood. How do I honor and respect my parents, even though clearly what they're telling me makes it impossible to honor and respect and and obey them? You're going to have to figure that out. But if you start from love, like I said, God's going to give you peace. He's going to give the agitator peace. Maybe you're the agitator. He's going to give you peace, and things are going to come about in the right way how god wants it and if it wasn't the way that you thought initially you're going to have a peace about that a peace which transcends all understanding which is going to guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus so what i'd like to do is if everyone can stand we're going to read this together we're going to read it again in just a minute but if we could all stand and read this all together worship team if you want to read that too let's start love is patient love is kind it does not envy It does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres okay we're going to read this again this time Please read it out loud and everywhere love is, you're gonna insert your own name. Now when we get to that, it's gonna be a little bit muddled because everyone's gonna be saying their name, but try to stay together. I don't want you to just think about it. I want you to speak it and hear that. Try that on, how does that feel? So if you would please indulge me by reading that all together where it's the blank, that's where love is, that's where your name is. So let's start, ready, go. Mark is patient. Mark is kind. Mark does not envy. Mark does not boast. Mark is not proud. Mark is not rude. Mark is not self seeking. Mark is not easily angered. Mark keeps no record of wrongs. Mark does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Mark always protects, always trusts. always hopes, always perseveres. I haven't done that since the premarital counseling in 1999. Thank you Pastor Fred at Seattle Community Church. But, but in all seriousness I think you need to say it and hear that, whether that permanently roots itself now or what have you, but please just experience that. Like I said I have no illusions about what happens during a Sunday service once you exit here, psst, but only God can create the type of change that you dearly deserve and should have, for the sake of your children and for the sake of your relationship with your parents, and so that's what I would pray. And so let's uh, let's pray, Lord God. We just uh, thank you and praise you for the opportunities that we're gathered here. We thank you because of your son, Lord God, that um, we have wisdom if we want it, we have guidance if we want it, we have peace, we have reconciliation and healing, Lord God, if we want that, Lord. So I pray that you would instill instill in us that faith, Lord God, and that desire to seek you for our own spiritual benefit, but also for the benefit of those around us, those who you will place in our care and who we have been placed in the care of and so we thank you and praise you lord for your supernatural way of bringing about change in your perfect timing and so we thank you and uh, praise you and give thanks in advance for the many wonderful things that you are going to do in our lives and in your son's name we pray amen